You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along on today's show. The latest on Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. We're going to catch up with college football analyst Taylor McCarg, who lives in the Austin area. We'll get the vibe on what Longhorn fans are thinking. Also, the NBA draft is tonight. Seven SEC players could hear their names called. We'll hear from ESPN analyst Jay Billis, who will give his thoughts on some of the SEC's top guys. And we'll go around the conference as Mike Leach offers his thoughts on the SEC expansion. I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to follow Locked on SEC for free. Wherever you get your podcast, you get the latest episode of this show as soon as it comes out each and every day. And a quick reminder, the NBA draft tonight, the GOAT, Chad Ford, and our Locked on NBA draft hosts, Raphael Barlow and John Corrales, will be live covering the draft tonight. It is the Locked on NBA draft presented by Built Bar. Get local uh, expert analysis on each pick and follow Locked on NBA on YouTube Tonight, watch the live coverage starting at 6 p.m. Central, 7 Eastern. All right, let's jump into it. Got a lot to cover. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. Around the conference. And we start with the Oklahoma, Texas news. A politician from Waco, Texas, is throwing up a Hail Mary to try to keep the Big 12 assembled together. Texas State Senator Brian Birdwell. He's doing what he can. According to a TV station in Waco, he does not want Texas to leave the Big 12. In order to prevent them from leaving, Birdwell has co-authored a bill which would require approval from lawmakers before state universities could switch athletic conferences. According to the to the TV station, the bill is not on the current special agenda. If the bill somehow got vetoed, uh, got voted on, its companion bill would need help from House Democrats in Washington, D.C. So, This thing is a real long shot, but it's just showing how desperate some of these uh, senators in cities where there are other Big 12 schools like Texas Tech and Baylor and TCU. They do not want to see Texas and Oklahoma jump ship. Speaking of the Oklahoma-Texas move, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach was asked his thoughts on OU and UT coming to the SEC. Leach talked with Ben Portnoy of the state newspaper. He said, it's not going to be simple. Suddenly, some of these people just get jealous and don't want to be left out. The state of Texas and Oklahoma, some of those schools that don't get selected are going to be battling the ones that did. It's a no, you can't without us type of thing. Obviously, the attorneys are going to make out like bandits in this. Leach Leach did say he favors a four-team pod slash division system when the SEC expands to a 16-team conference. Former Heisman Trophy winner Johnny Manziel, he helped jumpstart the Texas A&M Aggies. Welcome into the SEC as he was one of the more electrifying players to play in the conference in recent years. On Tuesday, Manziel was at a charity event and weighed in on the news that Texas and Oklahoma are trying to get into the SEC. Manziel said, lucky for the Aggies, we have a nine, almost ten-year head start on both of those schools being in the SEC. The rivalry has been gone for a while, but now it looks like it's coming back, meaning the Texas, Texas A&M rivalry. He said, it's time to just sack up and go play the game. We're in a good position. We have a good coach. We have a good team. If they want to come to the SEC and see what it's all about, then we'll welcome them with open arms. But it is no cakewalk, and it's not the Big 12. So it should be interesting to see how things play out. I love that a lot of former SEC players are sending the message to Longhorns and Sooner fans, be careful what you ask for. It's a big deal. 
coming into the SEC and uh, upping the competition you see week in and week out. One of the big offseason additions this past offseason for Georgia was adding West Virginia defensive back Tyke Smith in the transfer portal. Should help them out big time in that secondary. But according to a report from the Dominion Post, Smith still has some unfinished business in Morgantown. According to the report, he is being sued for nearly $8,000 for late rent and garbage fees on his apartment. Dark Knight LLC, which owns the apartment complex Chateau Royale, they are suing Smith in magistrate court. According to the civil complaint, Smith owes rent, late fees, and yearly garbage fees, seeking $7,941 plus court costs. Smith reportedly has until August 8th to respond to the legal notice. So as soon as he uh, got accepted to Georgia, the transfer was was taken in. He was like, I am out of here. Still got to take care of your apartment and things over there in West Virginia. Over at LSU, football coach Ed Ogeron spoke at a Baton Rouge Rotary Club event on Wednesday. And during the event, Ogeron was asked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, as well as how name, image, and likeness will affect the Tigers. Ogeron said he supported the NIL movement but says he cautions his players not to lose focus. He said, I'm for it, but you came here to go to school, get an education, and win football games. The most important thing you can do is focus on school and football. He did conclude his NIL thoughts with this gem. He said, quote, but if you want to pay our players, I got nothing against that legally. So Ogeron sending a message to a lot of the Rotary Club members. Hey, you give money to our players, do it, but do it the legal way. Lou Groza Award annually going to the nation's best kicker. They've released their 2021 preseason watch list. It includes dozens of names, including eight kickers from the SEC, most notably Auburn's Anders Carlson, Georgia's Jack Podlesny, Bama's Will Reichardt, and LSU's Cade York. Last SEC kicker to win the award was Georgia's Rodrigo Blankenship back in 2019. And there you have it. That is around the conference. When we come back, we're going to talk with Taylor McCarg. Get his thoughts on Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. This episode brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when you use Rock Auto. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, sometimes even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? An example, the Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store, only $216 at Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. The prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you can need from tail lamps to motor oil, new carpet, brake parts, whatever it is, you can find it at rockauto.com. And when you go there right now, you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. Just make sure you're right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's rockauto.com. Go check them out today. Going along here, Locked On SEC, and excited to catch up with this guy. He's been covering college football for many years, making the rounds on all the different families and networks, and he is based out of Austin, Texas, where the one Texas Longhorns are hoping to join the SEC along with their Oklahoma Sooner brethren, and Taylor joins us now. Taylor, is this a good move for the University of Texas because it seems like they are just chasing more money and not so much trying to win titles. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for Texas and Oklahoma, you're right. They are chasing the dollar. But if you go back a few years to when the Big 12 started to fall apart a little bit and you lose the Colorados and Missouris and Nebraskas of the world, a lot of the tradition went with it. And and when you I, – I get TCU has been a good program, but when you backfill a Nebraska with a TCU, you lose some of that tradition. And the Big 12 for the past eight or so years, six or so years, it hasn't felt the same. And Texas and Oklahoma, they've carried that conference. I mean, they really have – they're the bell cows. And between Big 12 championships, revenue, I just eyeballs in general on the conference, it's really gone through Oklahoma and Texas. And it makes sense that they would want to join up with the conference that is going to give them marquee matchups week in and week out. You can make the argument for both of these schools. There, there may be you know, better in-state or in-conference rivalries with them moving to the SEC than there was in the Big 12. I mean, with Texas, we get them back – consistently playing A&M and Arkansas, same thing for Oklahoma. So long-term, yes, it's it's great for Texas and Oklahoma. It's great for the SEC, and they're, the, the rest of the Big 12 are the, are the big losers in this. Taylor, it was interesting, the about-face we saw from Texas A&M last week. First, Ross Bjork at SEC Media Day says, well, we pride ourselves on being the, the lone school in the state of Texas that's in the SEC. We don't like this. And then about 48, 72 hours later, he comes out and says, we are excited about changes in the SEC landscape. And it's like, man, they really got them on board quick. What are what are folks in Austin feeling right now? Are fans excited about this? Are they happy? Are they not? Like, what's what's the feeling in Austin? They're excited. I mean, this is it's a, a big shakeup in the landscape of college football. And Texas, for the last decade, has struggled. There's There's no doubt about it. Aside from the Sugar Bowl victory, they haven't had much to speak of in the way of wins and losses and, and seasons they can hang their hat on. But I think part of that, the excuse is, well, we're losing re- recruits to schools in the SEC because they're going to play in the SEC. They don't want to play in this version of the Big 12. I think that's a, a lazy take. I think part of it has been bad hiring over the past two head coaches that have been at Texas. Uh, I think it's much less to do with the conference that they've been in. But the feeling is is excitement, and I think you look at what this will mean for Texas and Oklahoma, and I talk about those those marquee matchups. How can you not be excited about? There's some ideas that have been kicked around on. Do they create you know 14 pods where every single season, ideally Texas is playing Oklahoma, Arkansas, and A and M every year, no matter what. But regardless of how this shakes out. I don't know how you got to be excited if you're either one of these programs to see. Look, one of the big rubs in Austin for a while has been, and this was this was in one of the athletic articles that came out last week. Texas fans don't get excited when Kansas State or Kansas comes to town, but there's not a single school in the SEC West you're not going to be fired up about when they come to when they come to play at DKR. Shouldn't we just kind of enjoy any and all football, Taylor? Are we maybe too obsessed as fans with? just the big game matchups and not enjoying enough of the games against maybe lesser opponents? I, I agree with you in theory, but the problem is, like I go back to with with when I was growing from Austin, when I was growing up watching UT games, they would have a home-and-home home with Nebraska. They were playing Missouri when Chase Daniel was there. They were playing A&M for Thanksgiving games. If your biggest marquee home game of the year is a one or two games above 500 Oklahoma State or Kansas State? That's not a great home schedule, and they were having to really lean on. We got to go get a big out of conference matchup, whether it's USC, whether it's LSU, 
because our conference schedule is fairly weak. There's not a big marquee matchup anymore. There's nothing we can circle that says we're really fired up about having five and five Texas Tech coming to town. They, they lost those big matchups with Colorado leaving, with, with Nebraska, the schools that we've talked about. I think it, it, it's going to be similar to the NIL, right? It's going to take a while for this to shake out. And Texas and Oklahoma, what remains to be seen now is how quickly does this happen? Their contract runs through 2025, but they've been very clear already. The messaging has been, look, they're going to – the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to try and get out of the Big 12 as soon as they can. Oh, yeah. I, I think this has happened in 2022. I think this is going to be the last year there in the Big Big 12. Um, it, it is interesting, though. I mean, you, you, you make it harder on yourself. That's that's the biggest thing, that sticking point to me, though, Taylor, is obviously the money is the money, and, and everybody – the almighty dollar rules all, but – for Texas and Oklahoma, man, it it was basically you beat you beat each other and you're winning the Big 12 and you're going to the playoff. Now the road gets so much tougher and you have to beat, you know, we'll see how the conference shakes shakes up, who you play. But man, having to get past Georgia and Florida and Alabama and LSU and then, oh, by the way, still, pl- still playing each other hypothetically, it just seems like the road just becomes that much tougher. And I know everybody's saying, oh, but the playoff will expand. It'll be a 12-team playoff it still is just making it that much tougher on you to have postseason success and try to win championships. You're right. You're absolutely right. There's, there will come a season where a talented Texas or Oklahoma team, if they were playing in the former Big 12, would have been a playoff team where they end up with three losses in the SEC and they don't make the playoff. I think the, the flip side, though, like you mentioned, this is shaping up, this 12-team playoff, this is shaping up the way that the SEC is, is expanding. I wouldn't be surprised if the first year there's 12 teams in the playoff, you have five or six from the SEC that are in the that are in this playoff. Um, it may not be quite that many, but you're going to have three or four at a minimum from the SEC that will make the playoff. And for Texas and Oklahoma, I think ultimately this really comes down to dollars and cents. I guess there are some winners across the SEC because, you know, look, you're going to get some really good matchups coming up on the horizon. Some of these matchups, in week eight, now you're going to have LSU having to come to Austin. And that's going to be every year you're going to have these. I think it's going to be great for the sport long-term. The losers right now are the remainder of the Big 12. I think that's obvious. I think there's schools like Kansas likely goes to the Big 10 just with their, with their basketball poll. But there's going to be some losers here. I think there's almost certainly there will be a couple schools that don't get an invite from another Power 5 conference and have to go down to the American, and they're going to feel really scorned by this. And on the flip side, let's take it back to Houston, the Cougars, schools like that, schools like UCF, Memphis, what are they doing right now to position themselves to improve their their status? So it's going to be a two- or three-year process as some of these other conferences, their contracts run out. But once we get on the other side of this, I think we're moving more towards larger conferences, 16 to 20 teams, because you don't have to have your, your champion of the conference. Okay, they get into the playoff, but you can still have your second or even your third place team get into the playoff. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom into the world, but it's going to take a while to shake out. Taylor, always good to catch up, man. Thanks so much for the time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right, when we return, we're going to hear from Jay Billis ahead of the NBA draft tonight, giving his thoughts on some of the SEC players. That's next. 
Bet online still the fastest and easiest way for you to get in on all your sports action. We know baseball season just ramped up the second half. They are counting it down. Trades going crazy. You can get in on the action on a nightly basis at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline at your laptop or mobile device and check out all their great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, contest info. Head over to the website on your mobile device, sign up today, and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 5-0-50% when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. They've got tons of future bets as well, over-under win totals, for the SEC season, for college football, for the NFL. All of it is coming your way, and it is right around the corner. Just a couple weeks away, we will have football on a nightly basis. You want to make sure you're registered and ready to go with all the action at Bet Online. They are your online sportsbook experts. Go check them out today, Bet Online. Locked on SEC, rolling along here, Chris Gordy. And earlier this week, I was able to catch up with ESPN's Jay Billis, along with some other members of the media, and he was offering his thoughts on some of the top SEC players in tonight's draft. And we start with the highest ranked of all of them expected to go in the top 10, and that's Arkansas's Moses Moody. Here was Jay Billis talking on Moses Moody. He's a lottery pick, and uh, and I, I would be very surprised if he's not uh, you know, sort of top 10 I'm a big believer in Moses Moody. Uh, he not only has size, but he's got great length. Uh, you know, his arms go forever and, and he can make shots. You know, he's a, he's a scorer that can not only, you know, knock down a perimeter shot uh, and a mid-range shot, but he gets to the free throw line and that's a skill. You know, he shot like 150 free throws or whatever that was. That was among the top free throw performances in the, uh, in the Southeastern conference and one of the best in the country, especially for a young player. And he shot, you know, 80% or so from the free throw line. He's got the length and the, the athleticism and the motor to be a really good defender. You know, he's played with great players before he's done it, uh, you know, in high school, played at Montverde and, and uh, and played around talent, including Cunningham and, and Scotty Barnes and those guys. But I, I I really think he's got a high ceiling, and uh, and he, he you know he sort of fits the NBA. One of the next SEC guys who could hear his name called is Isaiah Jackson, the big man from Kentucky, very skilled, very big, but man, he is very raw. Here was Jay Billis talking about Isaiah Jackson. Well, I think Isaiah Jackson is an, uh, sort of an underrated talent in the draft because, you know, as you know, Kentucky did not have the kind of season that was expected. And so, you know, Jackson was, in, you know, in and out of the lineup early, but his energy, his athleticism and his energy level, uh, his rim protection, his defense, you know, his ability to guard multiple spots and, and his versatility really stand out. Um, that, you know, he can block shots, he can, he can rebound and get stick backs. He's just an elite athlete that can run the floor and impact the game with his, uh, his, his athleticism. You know, he's not yet an offensive player, uh, that's coming, I think. And, uh, and I think he can, he can get there, but, um, you know, heck he had, he had seven or eight blocks in a game. If I remember right earlier this year. And uh, and you you don't get that you know by accident. He he's uh, his motor's really good. I, I I think I think if if Kentucky had had a, a better year, 
uh, he, he'd be a little bit more on, on sort of the average fans radar about how good he, he is and can be. Another guy that could sneak into the back end of the first round, maybe an early second rounder, but his teammate from Kentucky, that's Brandon Boston. Here was Billis on Brandon Boston. If he had not played at all last year, I think he'd be higher regarded. He and Jalen Johnson of Duke, uh, I think, you know, would be higher regarded. Um, they were higher regarded coming out of high school uh, than they are right now. But he he's talented and can make plays. Uh, you know, his his size and length certainly fit the NBA. I think he can get certainly get stronger. He had disappointing numbers last year. He didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, his numbers were in the 30s, both from the field overall and from three. But he's better than that. And I think he's a better passer than he showed. And, and, and uh, he's got a higher basketball IQ than he showed. But he, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna have to overcome just not going into the draft and not not having a great year. And uh, but the the thing I like most about it is um, his attitude remained really good, and he wasn't, you know, he didn't he he uh, he I think answered every question that was asked of him. He didn't make any excuses. He just didn't play as well as he's capable of playing, and he's not the first player that that's happened to. Because uh, he's still a teenager, but uh, but I think he's got some ability level, and I think I think he'll go uh, late first, you know, early second round. One of my favorite players to watch this year was Auburn's Sharif Cooper. Obviously, we saw him in a very limited sample size, but man, when he played, he was really good. He's expected to hear his name called early tonight in the uh, in the first round. Here was Jay Billis on Sharif Cooper. Sharif Cooper, as you saw, is sort of a self-made player. I mean, really a, a, a talented handler, uh, passer, scorer. Uh, he averaged about, I think he averaged about eight assists last year and scored about 20 after that, you know, ridiculous crap he had to deal with with the NCAA where he never should have had to sit at all. But, you know, it, it was hard getting him out on the floor early on. But, um, you know, just uh, he's small, though, and he's not a great shooter. Uh, he's a scorer, not a shooter. So I think as he refines his shot, uh, you know, he's got a good you know, floater and, and all that. He can get into the lane and find people. Uh, he just has the ball on a string, uh, a total like wizard with the basketball. But the only downside is his size. He's not he's not a, a, a big player. And it would, you know, I think the bigger, the better, but it, you know, it's certainly not a detriment being smaller, but it, it, it you know, doesn't help. But re- really good talent. I think a, a clear, like, middle of the first round to, to end the 20s uh, player. Sharif's teammate, JT Thor, also expected to go probably somewhere early in the second round, but Jay Billis offered his thoughts on Auburn's JT Thor. JT Thor from uh, you know he's out of out of Alaska actually he's a he's got size you know a real high flyer and uh, and you know I, I agree with you he he has been been rising because he can switch on defense um, so he can play uh, a bigger guy he can play a smaller guy and move his feet and stay in front uh, you know he's a really good shot blocker including blocking perimeter shots. But, you know, I think as he gets more consistent with his defensive effort, uh, he's going to be an even better defender um, because while he made wow defensive plays, there were some times when, you know, his assignment was able to, to you know, shoot a decent percentage. 
Um, but he's a, he's, he's talented. He's not a, not a great shooter. Um, so he's going to have to improve upon that, you know, 30%, whatever he shot from the, from the, um, the three point line. But the, the fact that he, he's so athletic, he can get up and down the floor, he can guard, he can rebound, uh, and, and he can even, you know, rebound the ball and take it himself, you know, kind of grab and go or rip and run, whatever you want to call it. And he's a he's a decent rebounder. Um, so you know th- there's some there's some upside there with him at the next level. Lastly, a couple of Alabama guys expected to get drafted. The highest one, Josh Primo, man, at times didn't even start. Came off the bench, but he was really good. And NBA scouts really like what they see in him. Here was Jay Billis, his thoughts on Josh Primo. You know, I, I think the more I watched him, the more I really liked him. Um, I'd be surprised if he's not a first-round selection. Really a, a talented player, uh, one of those kind of do-it-all guys that can uh, – he has better size than I thought. And, uh, and you know, he's versatile on both ends of the floor. You know, came off the bench, um, but, but great effort and, uh, and can handle it. Um, you know, I, I was very impressed with the way he played at the uh, at the combine um you know he's a good catch and shoot guy uh i i, I liked him a lot and the, with the way he defended as well and it, and he showed he could handle it um which i wasn't honestly wasn't sure that you know he projected necessarily as a as an initiating or handling guard so he's got a lot of ability i i was i was really impressed with him um and just you know he can be a sniper uh shooting the ball uh, so he, he's got, uh, you know, he really shot past. I thought, I thought Herb, you know, Herb Jones was going to be the best prospect off that team. And, uh, and Primo wound up being a couple other guys, Bama at Bama, Josh Primo's teammates, Herb Jones. Here was Jay Billis on Herb Jones. You know, Herb Jones, you know, he's got, uh, you know, three and D written all over him. He just needs to, needs to become a more consistent perimeter shooter, but he's a he's a really good handler passer. Uh, his motor's great, you know. Plays with energy and uh, and his defense is fantastic. Um, just relentless on the ball. Uh, his you know his long arms, tough guy to score on. Uh, you know, gets steals. He can block shots, uh, rebounds at a at a good rate. He just you know he, he, I think as a point guard because they he was thrust into the point guard position based upon what Alabama had. Um, you know he. Uh, he turns it over a little bit too much, but but I, I don't think that's a that's that big of a deal. But I'm a I'm a big big fan of his. I, I think I don't know if I was the I, I probably wasn't the first to say it, but I I hope I was the loudest early on saying I thought he should have you know should be SEC Player of the Year. Uh, re- really really good player. All right, that is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked On SEC. Appreciate Jay Billis sharing his thoughts on. Many of the SEC guys going tonight. Just to give you guys the latest, NBADraft.net. They're projecting anywhere from six to seven SEC players to hear their names called. The highest, Moses Moody, expected to go somewhere in the top ten. Also, don't forget the two Tennessee guys, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, also expected to be first-round picks. We'll see where they go. And LSU's Cameron Thomas also expected to be a first-round pick as well. Going to be fun. We'll recap it all for you tomorrow on Locked on SEC. Continue to follow the drama that is Oklahoma and Texas coming to the, to the SEC. And, oh, yeah, tons of other just tidbits, recruiting notes, and other things all across the current 14 SEC teams. We'll talk about it all tomorrow. I'm Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC. You guys have a great day.
Hey, one more reminder. Check out the NBA Draft Goat, Chad Ford, Locked on NBA Draft host Raphael Barlow and John Corrales. They will be live tonight covering the NBA Draft. It is Locked on NBA Draft 2021, brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick. Follow Locked on NBA on YouTube today and watch our live coverage tonight, 6 p.m. Central, 7 Eastern.